أعوذ بالله من الشيطان العين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بارئ الخلائق أجمعين بعث الأنبياء والمرسلين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنام سيدنا ومولانا بالقاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين المكرمين المنتجبين لا سيما بقية الله في الأراضين روحي وأرواح العالمين لتراب مقدمه الفداء ولعنة الله على أعدائهم أجمعين إلى قيام يوم الدين For the hastening the return of our Imam, let's recite the salawat اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم This week we had the birth occasions of two Imams and a brother and companion to two Imams, or maybe even one could say three Imams. The Imams were Imam Al-Husayn, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayh, and Imam Zain al-Abideen, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayh. And the companion and brother is Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, alayhi salam. The occasion of the birth of these Imams is a time that we remember, we celebrate. Celebration, although it certainly has elements of joy in terms of foods and drinks and gatherings when we don't have the problem of the pandemic or in ways that doesn't create problems in this context. Those are elements that are part of uh, preparing for a happy occasion. But the essence of that remembrance, the essence of the celebration is to celebrate who these individuals were. Not celebrate a name and a basic superficial understanding of a person. Otherwise, if it's just celebrating the birth of a person, there are plenty of people that are born. We celebrate these figures, all of us do. Anyone who knows them celebrates the birth of the Holy Prophet as well as his household because these become events, gatherings, and times that we are able to remember those great personalities and remember their greatness and remind ourselves and remember of how we are to hold them as role models. Of course, the mere fact of celebrating a personality will have the effect of wanting to be like them. The problem though is we celebrate sometimes, or many times unfortunately, personalities as historic figures in a historic context, whereas these personalities are eternal personalities. They transcend time with their qualities and their personality. We've got to be able to separate the personality and the greatness of these figures from their context 
while we understand that greatness in that context, we don't understand their personality within that context. We're able to understand that greatness in that context and realize those qualities manifested in that particular way at that time because of those conditions. Those qualities are what we need to have. And at our time, if we try to manifest those qualities, that personality, how would that be? And if we celebrate these figures in that way, it will lead to more and more of us having more of a desire to be like them and to manifest those qualities and those personalities. It's difficult to even spend time speaking of one imam, much less two imams and a companion of the imams and a brother of imams. What I'd like to mention is something that the three personalities share. Obviously, the Imams at a higher level, Imam al Hussein and Imam Zain al Abidin at a higher level, and after them, as their follower, as a great follower, Abu al Fadl al Abbas, Salamullah alayhi. That quality that is very much needed for all of us. And it might be something that some of us may think is not appropriate for a celebration or remembering a person on their birth. But as I said, these are celebrations that we celebrate those personalities and we try to take something from those personalities that is most pertinent, most relevant, most important in our context. Collectively, as a whole, as a nation, the Ummah of Islam, the Ummah of the Prophet. We are in need today, especially out here, of this quality from their personality. And that is the quality of recognizing their enemy, recognizing the plots of their enemies, and understanding how to counter that, and understanding how to move towards their objectives despite the enmity of the enemies. These were a few things that are all relevant. I'll try to touch on a few words regarding each of those. Knowing your enemy. At a time where there were views that try to make it seem as though there isn't an enemy. One of the views that existed at the time of Imam al-Hussein when he wanted to move towards Karbala, or rather towards Mecca initially, and then eventually when the letters came, he moved towards Kufa and ended up moving towards Karbala. One of the views that existed that caused many people not to join him was to identify Yazid as an enemy. As an enemy of whom? As an enemy of a person like Imam al-Hussein? As an individual? Personal beef? Personal enmity between them? 
There's personal issues, family problems. No, Imam Hussein didn't really care if anybody mistreated him as a person, uh, had a, an issue regarding a, a family dispute on wealth, on inheritance, on things like that. He didn't really care. Those people were not the family members of Imam al-Husayn either. They were Muslimin. An enemy that for us should be identified as an enemy is an enemy of Islam. They didn't see him as an enemy of Islam. They saw him as, yeah, not a good ruler. They had their issues with him. But the way they saw him was, okay, we've had other rulers. Some are better in their view than, than others. Obviously, what we know is that, no, there are leaders that God appoints, the Holy Prophet, after him Ali ibn Abi Talib, after him Imam Mujtaba, after him Imam Hussein. Then there are those who take that power and authority without it being given to them by Allah, without it being legitimized by revelation and guidance from Allah one way or another. That's how it should be understood. As a Muslim, everyone should understand it in that way. That's a part of Islam that God has spoken in regards. When God speaks on a, on a matter, you don't say, okay, well, that's what God said. We're going to do our thing. Then that wouldn't be Islam. Islam means submission. Anyhow, that's the way they saw it. They saw, okay, this is a ruler. We had rulers before him. There was Muawiyah. In their view, there was Ali. There's Uthman. There's Umar. There's Abu Bakr. There's these figures. They, we had ups and downs. The time of Uthman wasn't so good. The time of Ali was good. The time of this ruler wasn't as good, and so on and so forth. These are views that these people have. They saw them as Muslimin that are different in their views. Some of what they do is not good, they disagree with. Nevertheless, they are the rulers, and they are you know, Muslimin that are slightly maybe deferring with them. This is the way they viewed them. At the time of Muawiyah, Muawiyah played that very well. He didn't reveal who he truly was, in a way where it became crystal clear that this is a person that actually does not believe in Islam. Muawiyah played it, played it very well. When Yazid came to power, in the process of taking allegiance from the people at the time of Muawiyah, Imam al-Hussein uh, mentioned things in various gatherings, he warned people, and... Uh, after the death of Muawiyah, as soon as the issue of pledging allegiance to Yazid, the order came, Imam Hussein started his rise, which was the same day that the news of the death of Muawiyah came. Imam Hussein started his rise. Yazid is different now at this point for various reasons. For various reasons, this is the point that we need to rise. One of the aspects was that Yazid is an enemy of Islam. The people in Medina who were the remnants of the families of those who spent years with the Prophet, the descendants, the children, the grandchildren of those who spent time with the Prophet, they had teachings from the Prophet, they liked Islam, they liked the Prophet, they cared about Islam, they saw Imam al-Husayn, but they didn't see why he's making this move. Later on, when 
Ashura occurred, when the event of Karbala took place, they still were not convinced. When were they convinced? When they were invited by the Khalifa, in their view, Yazid, to visit him. It was his stupidity. <laughs> I don't know why Yazid did this, but Yazid invited them. They went to Sham, they saw him firsthand. They saw him with their own two eyes, and they saw his behavior, and they were outraged. They came back to Medina, they started a, a movement or an uprising, if we can call it that. A rebellion, I think we can call it. There's a difference between a rebellion and an uprising. They started a, rebe a rebellion, and it was crushed, the rebellion was crushed. Because they saw... Imam al-Hussein was able to identify the enemy before seeing him in person. By seeing the stances of the enemy, before even Yazid came, he identified Muawiyah as the enemy, as Amir al-Mu'mineen did. Some people had issues with that. Amir al-Mu'mineen said, no, this is someone we cannot live and allow for him to be the governor of Sham even for a day. He realized that many didn't. Imam Hussein recognized his enemy, the enemy of Islam, be it within the borders of the Muslim Empire, which some of those enemies are more uh, serious and more devastating if you allow them to grow, more of a threat for Islam because they're from within. He recognized that enemy. Imam Zayn al-Abidin, similarly, he recognized the enemy, not Yazid's time. Afterwards, these uh, Umayyad rulers after Yazid that tried to again portray themselves as Muslim rulers, Imam Zayn al-Abidin knew. Some people are like this. When this guy comes and that guy goes, they start to think, oh, maybe this guy, let's see. Let's see how he does. You have to wait for the guy's presidency to come to him. Like, no, he wasn't good. Well, why didn't you recognize your enemy beforehand? Why didn't you realize that this system, this establishment, is an establishment of the enemies of Islam? It doesn't matter if it's Biden or if it's Obama, or if it's Trump, or George W. Bush, or whomever else, even if they have a hijab on their head, even if they have Hussein as part of their name, even if they say, Salamun Alaikum, even if they say, we're Muslim, as Imam Khomeini said, if they start building mosques for us, we will say they are shaitan got to recognize our enemies. This is one thing Imam Hussein, Imam Zain al-Abdin had, and Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas had as well. They came and they tried to get Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas off from Imam al-Hussein. He recognizes this is not an enemy of this person. This is the enemy of Islam. You want me to accept a letter of security that if I leave Hussein, I will be 
escorted out of Karbala without any problems and no one will try to kill me or any of that, that's not why I'm here. I'm a Muslim. Yazid is the enemy of God, the enemy of Islam. Not a personal enemy of Hussein. Okay, this is a dispute. They're fighting it. Let me get... He recognized. This is one thing. Recognizing their plots. Recognizing what they're trying to do. Imam Hussein and... Imam al-Mujtaba before him, and of course, Amir al-Mu'mani, the Prophet, but specifically I want to speak because they, the Imam of Imam al-Mujtaba and Imam al-Hussein uh, was during the time of Muawiyah, the 10 years of Imam of Imam al-Hussein. 10 years of it coincided with the rule of Muawiyah, the same way that the 10 years of Imam of Imam al-Mujtaba did. The last few months of Imam al-Hussein, Muawiyah had died and Yazid came to power and what happened, happened. Identifying Muawiyah as the enemy and knowing his plots. Knowing his plots. Imam al Hussein was part of the decision as a follower, of course, at that time. Imam al Hassan and Imam al Hussein are Imam al Qama al Qaeda. They're both Imams. But one is, when, when the first, when Imam al Hassan is the Imam, Imam al Hussein follows Imam al Hassan. The same way that when the Prophet was there and he was the Imam. Amir al followed the Prophet. He was an Imam, but an Imam after the Holy Prophet Imam al-Hussein was part of that. And the reason why Imam al-Hassan made the decision to sign a treaty instead of fighting, and Imam al-Hussein followed through and he was part of convincing some of the companions that didn't understand why they're signing that treaty. The reason why Imam al-Mujtaba and Imam al-Hussein as a follower at the time and continuing that same strategy after the shahada of Imam al-Mujtaba despite Muawiyah not abiding by his part of the treaty. Muawiyah didn't. Imam al-Mujtaba had the right not to uphold his end. He had the right. They could have gone at war again. And after Imam al-Mujtaba, Imam al-Hussein could, could have done that. He didn't during the time of Muawiyah. He did that during the time of Yazid. Now based on the treaty, he had already planned that. And he had mentioned, they had announced in the treaty that we only allow Muawiyah to rule. Afterwards, governance comes to us. And so they're announcing that we're not going to respect the Khilafah of anyone after Muawiyah. They already announced that. However, because Muawiyah didn't uphold his end of the treaty, Imam al-Mujtaba, and then after him, when Imam al-Hussein becomes the Imam, he had every right to go against the treaty. Imam al-Hussein didn't go against the treaty. After Muawiyah died, then he went and fought against Yazid. He had his uprising based on the, the plan they had when they signed the treaty. And of course, last point regarding that is that Imam al-Mujtaba, salamullah alayhi at his time, and Imam al-Hussein as a follower at the time, and then at, as the Imam after Imam al-Mujtaba, they knew Muawiyah is not going to uphold his end. The reason they signed the treaty and pretty much announced their objectives, at least part of, part of them,
was because they recognized the conditions and the plots of their enemies and knew, last point, how to deal with those plots. The way to deal with the plot of Muawiyah was not to fight him in those conditions. Amir al-Mu'mineen had already fought him and had shown that our path with Muawiyah is completely different. We will fight him when we... Imam al-Mujtaba continued that same line and was clear he has not made peace with Muawiyah. He has not come to an agreement regarding objectives, regarding anything. The only thing this was was a treaty of, we can call it a ceasefire, that we're not going to any longer fight Muawiyah with these conditions that they knew Muawiyah is not going to abide by. At that point, with regards to the plots of Muawiyah, the way to deal with his plots was to sign that treaty. Now how? I'll leave that to you all to think about it. And at times when, especially we're discussing Imam al-Mujtaba, that should be a demand by the believers from the speakers to explain what were the conditions, what was the plot from Muawiyah's side, what were the enemies trying to do that the response to that plot in order to combat that, not to leave the battlefield, but to actually engage in battle, on a greater scale, not just military, as the battle is not only military, the way to engage and not to abandon the battlefield was to sign that treaty. Okay? But the point here is to realize that Imam al-Husayn, salamullah alayh, recognized the plots and dealt with them. Imam Zayn al-Abidin as well, salamullah alayh. Imam Zayn al-Abidin understood the plots of Yazid, and Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad and those in Karbala, Imam Zayn al-Abidin became an Imam at a very, very difficult condition. He has to be the Imam, he has to be the arch enemy of Yazid and those who have killed the Shuhada of Karbala in that brutal way in Karbala. At the same time, he needs to protect his own life for Islam, not for himself. Those, that combination, if we understand what that means, very difficult. And he had to lead the efforts against Yazid from this point onwards. They didn't stop going against Yazid while he was the ruler, and afterwards the Umayyad ruler, whoever it was after that, as long as he was alive. The way he did, the, the work of Imam Zayn al-Abidin, his decisions after Karbala, are the continuation of the decisions of Imam al-Husayn. Then why do we see a difference? Why didn't Imam Zayn al-Abidin suddenly feel well and then get up and then start taking the sword out and start killing people until he's killed? Well, the same way why Imam al-Husayn prior to the incident of Karbala didn't do that. During the time of Muawiyah didn't do that. For the same reason that Imam al-Mujtaba initially planned to gather troops to engage in battle with Muawiyah, then that changed. Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen engaged in battle with Muawiyah and he appointed Imam al-Mujtaba and Imam al-Mujtaba after that initial period of trying to plan to fight Muawiyah militarily changed to a different tactic. Conditions are different. That is exactly the point. 
the plot of this ruler and that ruler are different. Their enmity is the same. They're enemies. Their plots, what they're trying to do during different times, based on what they see is a way and a means to get to their objectives, and the way another person or the same person at a different con uh, time and condition plans and plots against Islam and against the Muslimin and against the rulers of the Muslimin is different. It can be different. What we learn from them is to identify their plot and know how to deal with it. Plan against it. The victors, we know, now go study, having understood this, go study for yourself, try to find out what the plots of the enemies were and ask speakers, ask scholars. When there are lengthier programs for each of the imams, why did this imam behave in this way? What was the plot at the time? And what was the response of the imam to that? And lastly, but definitely not least, something that is many times neglected, I have seen, is that if we, if we stop at this point, it seems like there is animosity, there is enmity, there are enemies. The enemies plot... We only have to recognize what their plots are and then counter that. This is called uh, a reaction to the actions of the enemies. And if a person only reacts to the enemies, then they are reactionary. And even if they only plot against their enemies in the sense of only thinking about their enemies and how to get them out of the picture... In a sense, they're still reactionary in the sense of uh, well, the animosity starts from the other end. Now, what plot they use, what tactic they use, what strategy they have differs, but animosity, antagonism started from the enemy's side. The Prophet didn't say, I'm your enemy. He said, I brought this message from God. They said, we hate you. They said, you better stop it. They said, we'll kill you. That's what they did. Amir al-Mu'mineen he became the ruler. He didn't say, I want to fight Muawiyah. He said, Muawiyah, you were the governor under the third Khalifa. Every Khalifa that comes in, he appoints uh, governors. He said, Muawiyah, you're no longer the governor. Uh, this person is the governor. Muawiyah started fighting. Amir al-Mu'mineen didn't start battle with Talha and Zubayr. They're not the ones who start battles. Ustalha and Zubayr started, Amir al-Mu'mineen tried to stop that battle, even with Muawiyah. He went to Safin, he showed troops, but then he said, Muawiyah, what you're doing is wrong. People understand what he's doing is wrong. Let's, let the Qur'an be a hakam, a judge between us. Let's allow the Qur'an to guide all of us and let us not fight militarily. Let's go to the judgment of the Qur'an. That's what Amir al-Mu'mineen said. They engaged in battle. Enmity started from the other side, not from the side of the Prophet. The Prophet didn't come out and say, oh, from day one, I am the enemies of these people. He said, I brought you guidance. They chose to be enemies. When they choose to be an enemy, you have to recognize them as an enemy. But for your plans in life, in this world, as an imam especially, and for us as followers of the imam, wanting to be mujahideen fi sabilillah, Continue that path of the Ahlul Bayt if we're only consumed in, oh, this is an enemy, this is what they're doing, this is what we do in response, then we are going to be reactionary.
that's not how the Imams were. The Imams had goals and objectives that they found the enemies to be obstacles. Some of the obstacles were the enemies, various enemies. That's another discussion for another time. Various enemies. It wasn't only Muawiyah or Yazid or these rulers. Various enemies. And various obstacles, rather, I should say. Various obstacles in the way. The Imams had goals and objectives and they saw the enemies and what type of obstacles they're creating in the way and they were mindful of the plots of the enemies and they dealt with it but they weren't limited to that. Imam Zayn al-Abideen or Imam al-Hussein, either one of them. Let me start with Imam al-Hussein actually. Imam al-Hussein if he was only dealing with his enemy Yazid and he was not thinking of his goals as an Imam for the long run, if he didn't see the big picture and what he's he should do as an Imam in the long run, he probably should have taken a different course of action. In the end, it led to his Shahada. The reason why he chose that path, knowing it's going to lead to his Shahada, is because he's got bigger plans than just dealing with Yazid, dealing with this ruler or that ruler. He's got bigger plans. And he sees in that greater scheme of everything, including the enemies and their plots, this course of action is going to get us to our objectives. And you see, after close to 1400 years, Imam al-Hussein accomplished great objectives. Imam al-Hussein's objectives? We're not limited to fighting Yazid. Who's Yazid? Yazid is a ruler that ruled over a relatively small area of the earth compared to the rest of it. It's small. It was the greatest empire at the time, the Islamic Empire, the Muslim Empire. Yet it was still, compared to the rest of the earth, it was, it was small. And the years he ruled were very small. Imam Hussein's plans were not for Yazid. His, he's got, he had greater plans. And he made plans despite the enemies, in sight of enemies, meaning keeping them in sight, but also keeping everything else in sight. Not being bogged down by the enemies. Not being consumed in the plots of the enemies and every conversation just revolving around that. Who are these enemies? God has promised these enemies will go. Yeah, we have responsibilities, but God's going to take down every single one of these enemies. We have responsibilities. Imam al-Hussein, when he went to Karbala, he didn't only think of Yazid. That wasn't his goal to get rid of Yazid or to deal with Yazid. He's thinking of greater plans. And look at what he did. He wanted to wake up and bring to life the hearts of the people on a global scale so that people can globally rise and remove all tyranny, not from this corner of the earth. And with his shahada, he did that. Imam Zayn al-Abideen, sallallahu alayhi he has the political objective of removing the Umayyads from 
the throne and from their rule and relieving the ummah from their tyranny he had that goal and objective but more than that he had the objective of establishing justice over the face of the earth a justice that includes the justice to the souls of the people the justice to the minds of the people to recognize the truths of the world for the souls and spirits of the people to be free and liberated from the chains of materialism then for them to find wings to fly and be free and liberate the earth this is a very fundamental way of fighting and combating injustice and so that overall goal in mind to establish a government of justice a world a globe filled with prosperity on all scales jannah on earth that's what they work to establish in order to do that imam zain al-abidin trains individuals and spreads them out so that they can get the true words of islam the umayyads are spreading their misinformation about the Ahlul Bayt. If Imam Zayn al-Abidin wanted to be bogged down with that, go and try to respond to everything that was said in all these sermons on the on every Friday throughout the Muslim empire against the Ahlul Bayt, cursing Ali ibn Abi Talib. I would consume all his time. He recognized their plots and he realized his plans they can go ahead and do whatever of that they want. This is what we're going to do. We're going to train Abu Khalid al-Kabuli, send him back to Kabul in that area, and Tashayyu spreads from that area. And it flows to the various regions surrounding it. And that's only one area that we're more familiar with. In the other regions, he did the same. We have Tashayyu in Egypt and in North Africa from the time of that imam and a little after we see it growing further the seeds are planted by imam zain al-abidin he creates these students he sends them this is a long-term plan imam zain al-abidin has got all these plans and he's working on them he's not reactionary oh there's yazid we have to take authority and yazid is doing this he's our enemies or the umayyads are our enemies we got to do this we got to do that Part of what they're doing is recognize the enemy, their plots, but we're not limited to that. We've got goals and objectives that the enemy can just not fathom. We're not worried about the enemy. We need to plan where the enemy's plots are affecting the movement. And we have to take a stance or we have to do something in regards to that. We have to react to that. We will react to that. We should react to that. The Imams did that. However, they weren't limited to that. In order to learn that from the Ahlul Bayt, in order to learn that from Imam Al-Husayn and Imam Zayn Al-Abidin, we've got to learn their goals and to make their goals, those great objectives, our goals. And then we need to learn what their strategies, their long-term strategies, their tactics in moving about and trying to arrive at those objectives and goals were and start developing those and 
by understanding our current conditions, see which of the various tactics of the Imams during the various times they had and the conditions they had applies to us, and what the conditions of today will create in terms of the vehicles through which we're going to implement those tactics and strategies of the Ahlul Bayt, and we hope that we're able to learn that from them. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us all. This is the month of Sha'ban. We are getting closer to the month of Ramadan. Ya Allah, if you have not forgiven us up to this point in the month of Sha'ban, and you have not forgiven us in the month of Rajab with our shortcomings or due to our shortcomings, we ask you by the right of the Ahlul Bayt to help us to forgive us and help us overcome our personal deficiencies, our problems uh, with our nafs that are causing us to be kept away from you and not be able to make progress towards you. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us be purified and enter the month of Ziyafatullah, the month of Ramadan, with a state of a cleansed soul that is now ready to ascend on Laylatul Qadr, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen.